excited today as we continue our new marriage series, Cherished, looking at ways that we can cherish. Last week we began by saying that love is something we have to or something we're supposed to and have to do. Cherish is I get to do this. And so it's a whole different perspective when it comes to love. And hopefully this week you implemented some of those thoughts. And when we cherish someone, we prioritize them. We make them the most important person in the room, much like the words of this song. Have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you there's no one else above you? You fill my heart with gladness, take away all my sadness, ease my troubles, that's what you about cherishing one another, it's lifting them up, reminding them daily that we love them and, and that they're the most special person in our lives. The person that we cherish is the person that we prioritize. When your spouse begins to see that you feel that way about them and that you just don't love them because you have to or you're supposed to, because that's what the Word of God says, but you do it because you get to. It's a game changer in relationships. This week I received lots of inbox messages from people saying variety of things about what it means to cherish and what it means to love. 
And the common thread was this. I know that my husband and my wife loves me. There's no doubt about that. But we've lost the spark. We lost the freshness. We lost what we once had, the joy that was there. And they said we realized it, that we really haven't cherished each other. We've been married a long time. And I know he won't go anywhere and I know she won't go anywhere. But we really don't think about what it means to cherish. That what a privilege it is. One couple went on to say, one man went on to say this. He said, as a result of the message, we sat down and both of us were together and, and we, we heard the message and we both cried. We repented. We repented that we were just going through the motions. Many, many years of going through the motions and we began to implement some of these truths. And this couple said that in three days, their marriage had turned the corner. Because they, for the first time in a very long time, began to understand what it means to cherish. So as we continue this whole idea of cherishing, and I encourage you, if you didn't, weren't here last week, I, go watch the message. It's the best gift you can give your wife. And wives, if you haven't seen it, you go watch it. It's the best gift you can give to your husband. If we cherish one another, it means that we prioritize them. On Valentine's Day of this year, Cherishing also notices what a person does. On Valentine's Day of this year, a woman decided that she would give her review of her husband the things that she had noticed about him this past year. This was her Valentine's gift to him. She gave him a card, and inside she had recorded the things that she knew about him from the previous year. She gave him a review of the marriage. This was her review of the marriage. She put it in categories. Number one, accomplishments. Number two, challenges. Number three, overall rating. Number four, comments. And number five, recommended action steps. (laughs) This is what she noticed about her marriage and about her man. Demonstrated 11% more understanding and empathy towards spouse than last year. Spearheading a program to be spontaneously Compliment her not only for her competencies as a mother, but also her strange new hair color. Met billability targets as near breadwinner. Improved listening skills dramatically, except during either serious arguments or college basketball games on TV. (laughs) Excelled in opening tightly clamped jars, killing rogue spiders, changing flat tires, and reaching household items in high cabinets, often doing so on short notice. Challenges. Regularly files grievances about having too little shelf space in the bathroom medicine cabinet, despite already occupying the 27% legal limit for males in most states. (laughs) Nightly leaves crumbs from jalapeno-flavored tortilla chips strewn across bedsheets. Repeatedly multitasked during dinner, checking the overseas bond markets and placing online bets on college basketball games with funds borrowed from my Roth IRA. (laughs) Final challenge. Still dominates use of TV remote control and otherwise refuses to be truly cooperative. Once even purchasing a $200 waffle maker without going through established approval process. (laughs) Overall rating. Meets expectations, quotes, 
but certainly can never threatens to exceed any. Comments. Bob continues to show potential as optimal husband material. That's funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> Conceivably, he will survive in his current capacity. He rated marginally higher this year than last year on the standard compatibility charts as well as other key metrics. In short, he has tried hard to overcome his natural tendency to be a jerk. <laughs> For example, he now initiates fewer disagreements and, better still, never succeeds in ending any. He has also agreed to implement his initiative to stop bad-mouthing me behind my back with his stupid friends on Thursday's poker nights. <laughs> but clearly, Bob will have to be more proactive, particularly when it comes to decision-making and problem-solving behaviors, to earn a position in senior management. <laughs> Listening to, to me talk for longer than two seconds remains for him still very much an unnatural act. He rarely seems to have thought in his head that has the decency to stay in his mouth. And why? He secretly funded opposition research against his own wife, I'll never fathom. In short, his limitations as a husband within our organization occasionally appear to be unlimited. Recommended action steps. The year ahead will extend the probationary period begun on our wedding day. Accordingly, the following deliverables will take priority. Once and for all, stop laughing out loud every time he sees the picture of me in my high school yearbook. <laughs> stop shrugging, scoffing, and waving his hand dismissively at me when I plead with him to be more easygoing. Last recommended action step, keep his big trap shut until I'm bloody well finished talking. <laughs> and he went on to say that. I signed a form, if reluctantly, and declined to take issue with any of it. But now's my chance to restore balance in our relationship. I'm writing my annual performance review of her. Happy birthday, or happy Valentine's Day, honey. <laughs> Cherishing prioritizes each other. And when we cherish each other, we validate your spouse. And we notice the things that I said last week, not the one thing they did wrong, but the 10 things they do well. Cherishing validates our spouses. It proves the validity of its worth. It endorses the product. It's saying that my wife, my husband is worth it. I am giving a review of them and I want you to know this is my wife, this is my husband, and I want you to know that I think they are out of this world incredible. It's the same thing that you would often do and do with your Facebook page that's a business page or a product that you're selling. You'll tell people, go to my page and like it. Go to my page and give a good review because you want others to know and to believe that your product, your business is worth using, it's worth buying because of these incredible qualities. Cherishing validates your spouse by saying, this woman that I'm married to, this man that I'm married to is a five-star kind of spouse and I want the world to know that I endorse them, I love them, and this is my review of them. Turn to Song of Songs, chapter 4, and I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. 
Song of Songs chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to Song of Songs chapter 4 and stand with me as we read verses 1 through 11. I want you to look at this. Every single time you read a verse, I want you to notice how the husband validates and notices his wife. How the husband has taken time to notice the details about his wife. Look at the way that he validates, prioritizes, notices, endorses her. Read this with me. Song of Songs, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Ready, read. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is alone. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinur, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dead and the mountain's haunts of leopards. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart. With one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace, how delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You may have a seat. As you can see, he notices details about his wife. He's familiar with what she's wearing, and he brings them to light, and he honors her. I want you to do something, husbands. Don't look at your wives right now if your wife is beside you. But I want to ask you a question. Don't look at them. What necklace is she wearing? What kind of earrings does she have on? What shoes is she wearing? Is she wearing a scarf? What's the color of her coat? What's the color of her blouse? What's the color of her socks? What kind of shoes does she have on? Could you answer those questions? Now, I'm not going to ask you to answer that out loud. (laughs) Now, turn and take a look. Were you right? Or did you even notice? How many of you even noticed your wife as she walked out of the house today? Some of you aren't looking because you know you're guilty. (laughs) How many of you even noticed? In this picture we have here in Song of Songs, the husband is clearly able to say this about his wife because he noticed. He, he made her know that she was the most important person in the room. Your wife needs to know, even on her way to church on Sunday morning, that you saw her, that you're grateful that you get to sit beside her, that you noticed her. She's waiting for you. She got dressed this morning for today, but she needs and wants to hear from you. You know what? You look good today. I like that outfit on you. I like those earrings. I like those boots. I like those shoes. That's your job to cherish your wife. Now, if I were to ask wives what your husbands have on, 
you could probably answer that. It's that same dumb shirt he wears all the time to church on Sunday morning. (laughs) Noticing and honoring your spouse cultivates and maintains a certain kind of relationship and sustains the force of cherishing. Go out of your way to notice your bride when she walks in a room. If you're in a meeting or you're in the same place and you're in a gathering area and your wife walks into the room, men, you better notice her. You better say, hold on a second here. This this conversation is not as important as she is. I want you to look across the room and say, I see you, I notice you. And even in public places, say, baby, I love you. Take time to notice your spouse. That's what cherishing cultivates. When you cultivate that spirit and maintain that certain kind of relationship, it sustains the force of cherishing. Another thing, practical thing that you can do to prioritize them and notice them. Many of us have patterns that when we leave somewhere or come back from somewhere, at least I hope you do this. If you've been away, maybe you went to work, she went to work, she was away, you got back, you came back. You'll go and hug your wife and say, when you come home from the office, if you've been in the office or you've been away, when you grab your wife and hug them, don't just make it as a duty. That's the thing I do because I love her. Give her a kiss and then go on your way, read the paper and go somewhere else. When you go home this week to show that you cherish her, grab a hold of her and when she begins to pull away because she's used to a five-second hug, hold on and just hold her. Pull her in. 30 seconds is all we're asking. 30 extra seconds from what you normally do. I guarantee you when you do that, she won't pull away. Because that gesture saying, you're precious to me. You're valuable to me. You mean the world to me. You're the most important person in my arms right now. You see, we get into these patterns where we give a kiss, we say goodbye, we run, we go. Why not take extra 30 seconds, hold on to them and embrace them. Just to say, you're the most important person in my life. You see, otherwise, that quick hug makes them feel like it was an obligation instead of, woo, you really want to hug me, don't you? The last thing a husband or wife should feel is invisible. When that feeling surfaces, they feel replaceable. And then doubt and fear wants to creep into their relationship. In chapter 4, this husband noticed. He, he, he saw these things. It wasn't his, their, their girlfriends noticing it. It wasn't someone else noticing it. It was, it was her husband noticing it. Man, it's a big deal, too, when your wife chose to say yes in marriage and to give up her name for your name. Take active interest in what interests them. Ask them, is there anything I can do to help you, to get you through that? Lean in and listen when they talk. One of the best ways to validate them and cherish them is to need him or her. Men, let me just speak to us today as husbands and as men. It's real easy for us to say, I got this one. I can take it. It's real easy for us to want to be self-made men and say, you know, you don't need, I don't need, I don't need... You want to make your wife feel valuable? Let her know that you need her. 
When you see Adam and Eve in the beginning and and Adam was by himself and and God created a woman, he didn't create the woman only because Adam was lonely. He created the woman. The Bible says that she was his helper. God knew that marriage is a chance for two to become one and the wife is encouraged and able to bring something to the relationship of value that makes them one, and she is his helpmate. Your wife needs to know that you need her. One of the best gifts you can give your wife is to ask her, honey, can you help me with this? And and the same is true the other way. Your husband needs to know that you want him and need him too. I can't tell you how many times I... I've, I've asked Ann, I said, honey, can you take care of this today? I'm going here, I'm doing this. And when she takes care of it, and when I come home, she says, Jim, I, took, I feel cherished. Because whatever she had to do that day, she made sure that what I wanted done, she took care of. Cherishing validates, it notices, it, it endorses, it reviews. It takes time to see, wow, you're this, you've done that. And a good way to practical way to do that is just begin to journal things they have worked on this week, this past week, this month, and why you're grateful for them. Write them down. Journal them. Reading a journal like this makes a spouse want to aspire to be the man or woman we think they are. Let me show you what I mean. In the book, in many books that I've been reading that have been helping out, preparing for this series of messages in the Word of God, there's an example that the author gives here along these lines. He says this. One wife gave her husband a journal she had worked on for an entire year. It listed everything she noticed about him throughout the year. Mentioning specific things he had done on specific days that made her glad to be married to him. Here's a few things that she listed. Thank you for hanging the Christmas lights when it was freezing outside. You want our family to have joy. It was so cold that it must have been terrible. I wouldn't have wanted to do it, but you did. So she wrote that down. Here's something else she noticed. Thank you for traveling. I know it must be hard. I could see how tired you were when you walked out the door on February the 6th, even down to the day. You do such a good job providing for our family. And then she wrote this. Thank you for coming home so tired from that trip in September, but still eager to spend time with the children. You're such a good father. When she gave him the journal, her husband immediately sat down in a chair and read the entire journal in one setting. Later, when accounting this gift to a friend, he told him, reading that journal makes me aspire to be the man she thinks I am. You see, reading a journal like this makes a spouse aspire to be that person. How often do you do that? Isn't it real easy to point out all the faults, all the things he didn't do, and all the things she didn't do? But how many of you actually journal down? What a practical way, and I'll guarantee you this. If you took time to do that, even in a week's time, your husband would feel cherished. 
You see, another way that you can cherish and to prioritize them is, is to work hard at becoming more curious about each other. Wives feel cherished when their man is curious about them. Now think about it this way. Do you remember when you first dated? You were curious about each other. Like how many of you sat down, you went out to eat, maybe you went out and did something together and you came back and you would ask these questions. So when did you graduate from high school? And like where did you grow up? And what's your favorite hobby? And how about what's your movie? Like what, what, what artists do you like? And, and what's... Where, what's your dream vacation? And, and if you had a million dollars, what would you spend it on? It's curiosity. And, and to a, a woman, that's intoxicating. Why? Because you're interested in her. And for some reason, along the way, we believe this lie that we know everything. We don't need to ask them anymore. And the reality is, if you begin to be curious about your wife again and ask those same kind of questions. So, you see, we grow and we age, and your wife is the different person than she was 20, 10, 5, 30, 40 years ago. And the questions you ask when you're dating are different. Now you've had children, and she's, she's been a mom, and maybe now she's 30 or 40, and maybe she's in a different season, and maybe there's grandchildren, and maybe... And so when you, how does that make you feel when you see the grandkids? How does that make you feel when our daughter does that? And how does that make you feel when you know that she's far away? And how does that make you, like, like what's your dream now that we've been together for 10 years? What would you like to see us do? And, and, and what are your dreams? How are you growing? What did you learn from God today? What's your favorite movie now? Like, how would you describe me now after like 20 years together? Curiosity. Guys, listen to me. Get curious again about your bride. Why? Because it lets them know that you're interested in them. And listen with your eyes as much as your ears. Look at them when they talk. (laughs) Don't be distracted on your phone. Don't be distracted with the TV. And even go so far as this, and, 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 and be the one to initiate this in a text that says, let's Talk tonight. I'm telling you guys, you do that. Your wife knows that she's important. Why? Because you're curious. You want to know more about them. That's what cherishing does. Men, if you cherish your wife with curiosity, she will feel loved If your wife feels like she's the only one trying to improve the marriage, then you are not curious and you are not cherishing her. Be the one who initiates the marriage conferences. Be the one who buys the books and and orders them online and says, hey, let's do this devotional together. Hey, let's study together. Let's learn about marriage. Let's go to Grace Community because there's a marriage. Don't make your spouse drag you there. You're the one that says, hey, let's, let's make this marriage run at optimal performance. Hey, I heard there's this word cherish. I want to cherish you. Let her know that you'll do whatever it takes. Cherishing also wars against contempt. Most studies are showing this now, that the number one reason for divorce is because of a spirit of contempt in relationships. Let me define the word contempt. Contempt in a marriage is an attitude of superiority evidenced by speaking down 
to your partner through name calling. Contempt says, I am better than you. Contempt says this, you are lucky to have me. And well, I'm just stuck with you. It's the spirit of, boy, if I'm the husband, they're, they're, you're lucky to have me. I mean, there'd be a million other women that would want me. That's contempt. It's saying that I'm more valuable than what you are. Contempt says you're lucky that I'm with you and still with you. And I'll just put up with you because that's what I'm supposed to do. It's my duty and obligation to love you. You see, when we cherish each other, we begin to look each other the way Jesus looks at us each day. I want you to think about that for a second. What might our marriages look like if we looked at each other the way Jesus looks at us each day? And how does Jesus look at you? He sees you forgiven. He sees you as free. He sees you with all the sins of your past no longer being remembered. He looks at you daily and says, it's a new day. Write a new song. It's a fresh start. There's a new sunrise. There's going to be a new sunset. Go and live in that freedom. Imagine for a second if every day and every morning when we got up that we looked at our spouses the way Jesus looks at us and we say, it's a new day. It's a new sunset. We got a new chance to love each other. We can, we can pave a new path. We can build on what we have. Forgetting what's behind and looking to what's ahead. And let me tell you, the enemy does just the opposite. The enemy is constantly trying to, to encourage you to look at the faults at one another. Steve Wilk, a Christian counselor, says that one-third of couples in marriage have experienced some type of trauma that makes them feel uncherishable. It's one of Satan's greatest tools of derailing a person from receiving grace and love from others. I would say it this way. Satan wants to make your hurt last from your past and rob you and your marriage of joy today. He wants to make something that's happened to the two of you or something that happened before there were two of you and you, were, you had this encounter of trauma in your life. Satan wants to make that hurt from the past last into the present so there's no joy in your marriage. Satan is constantly reminding you of something that went wrong, something that he did, something that she did. And he wants you to continue to feel that pain, that hurt from the past. He wants the past to last into the future. Why? Because he knows it can rob your joy. I would say it this way. Satan is the time hop champion of doom and gloom. You know what his time hop would look like? He's the Facebook reminder of a year ago. You know how you get those reminders on your timeline? One year ago today, you did this. And you know what he brings up? You didn't come through. This happened to you. This, this is what you did. This is what you chose. And all of them are evil, negative things. And he continues to bring it up, bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. He wants that hurt from the past to last. Jesus, on the other hand. He's the Instagram story champion of the world. You know why I love Instagram stories champions of the world? How long they last? 24 hours. 
And if you didn't watch it in 24 hours, guess what? There's a new one starting tomorrow. Jesus says, the old is gone. The new is here. There's freedom in the future. I see you as forgiven. There's hope, cherish, and love. There's a new sunrise. Let's make the most of out today. Jesus, Instagram champion. Satan, time hop, doom and gloom champion. Whose champion are you going to let ride in your life this week? One of cherishing's most potent weapons is thankfulness. It's a habit to notice the things your spouse does well. Come on, man. There's so many things we do well. Why do we always have to hang on the things we don't do well? Because we love Satan's time hop championships. You see, when you cherish someone with hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and you speak words of life such as Song of Songs, chapter 6 and verse 9, look what he speaks here. But my dove, my perfect one, is unique. The only daughter of her mother, the favor of the one who bore her, the young woman who saw her and called her blessed, the queens and concubines praised her. He saw her, my dove, as the perfect one. It brings healing to an abusive past and says, I love you just the way you are. Listen, whatever happened to you and whatever happened to us, let's move on from that. Listen, the woman I have today and it's in my life and the man that's in my life, I love you just the way you are. You're special to me and you will always be my priority. That's what cherishing does. Cherishing says you are not only a priority, but you're the only priority. Cherishing prefers each other above all others. Look at Song of Song chapter 4 and verse 9. Look how, look how the, the husband said to the wife in chapter 4 and verse 9. It prefers you above all others. It says, you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your, of, of your necklace. And the idea, the concept of stolen, you have captured my heart. You, 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 you have taken my heart hostage. You have the key to my heart. No one else can get there but you. You've stolen it. Like, like no one else can get there because of your love. Because you have planted thankfulness and love into my heart. And please hear me, husbands and wives. It must be spoken. This husband took time to notice and speak it. Praise each other often in private and in public. Do it tenderly. If you think it, say it. Never assume once is enough. If you think she looks purity, beautiful, gorgeous, and never say anything, then it's easy for her to assume that you don't like the way she's dressed and you don't like what she's wearing. And, then, and, and the reality is she begins to think, he doesn't think I'm beautiful. He doesn't think this about me. Listen to me, man, listen to me. Speak it. You're the one that needs to speak it. Not her girlfriend, not, not someone else, you. Her heart was shaped for you. Breathe, speak thankfulness. Same for ladies. Speak it to your husband. Even this week, Ann said something to me. I was getting ready to go. And she said, you know what, Jimmy? You look good today. 
She's captured my heart. And so when I get that language from her, like I was good for three weeks with that one. Speak it. Say it. Don't just think it. Silence can be (coughs) unintentionally malicious. You might say, how do I do that, Pastor Jim? How do I know when? What do I look for? Like, I'm not the smartest guy or gal. How do I do that? This hasn't been part of my life. It wasn't modeled to me. I didn't see my mother and my father. They just said, hey, we love each other, and we'll love each other till the end. I told you once, that's enough. How do you know? How do you do it? Well, ask yourself this question. What do you admire about your spouse? We do it with our kids. We do it with our, our, our grandkids. We do it with pictures on the Internet and, and social media. You heard me say last week, enough of the kids. How about let, let's elevate our brides and our grooms? And we do it with pictures that say, oh, my goodness, look at, look at my grandchild. Isn't they adorable? And we put 10,000 pictures of our kids because we know it's good for 200 likes. And then we'll say, oh, where has the time gone? It's been, a, it's been three years or two years. Look at them when they were one. Look at them when they were three. Like, can we just hit the pause button? Oh, I don't know. It's just like I just love them so much. We put a picture up of our husband and think, if I can just hit the forward button on this one. How else can you, you, you ask this question, what makes you smile about your spouse? What's that thing that makes you smile? Like, you know what it is. Maybe it's when they smile, or maybe it's when they move a certain way, or you notice kind of when they're, they're thinking, and maybe it's when they walk across the room, maybe it's when they gently care for the children, and maybe it's when they have that that word that, that makes you feel tenderly loved. Like, and so often it's your tone. Like Anne will often say to me, Jim, she says, it's not what you say that matters. It's the tone of how you're saying it. And she's right, and I hate that she is. <laughs> but it's the truth. It's how you say it. It's the tone. Like, you're so precious that I don't even want the words to come out of my mouth to harm your heart. You're more precious than any person in my life, and I will speak gently to you. And I will carefully say these words because I don't want to harm you. That's what you do with someone that you cherish. And if you don't speak encouraging words, hear me out. Then who will? The author of this book, Gary Thomas, said this in regards. I want you to listen to this. This is incredibly powerful. He said this, he says, when we criticize ourselves or others criticize us, we and they tend to be extremely specific. We say things like this, it drives me crazy when you crack your knuckles. You're a slob. Look at that mess. You're lazy and never get off the couch. Using specific words of authentic praise counteracts this. Your praise can can be excessive only if your words are insincere. Genuine, heartfelt praise cannot be overdone. 
If you don't speak encouraging words to your spouse, who will? And then he says this. You have the main responsibility for sowing words of belief and admiration in your spouse. No farmer expects a neighbor, a distant relative, or church member to sow the seed in his field. It's his farm, and therefore his responsibility. As soon as you get married, it is no longer your in-law's job to be your spouse's main encourager. Something is wrong if that's the case. It's not your children's job. It's not your church's small group job or your spouse's employer's job. It's not even your spouse's best friend's job. It's your job to be your spouse's chief advocate, encourager, and cherisher. Here's, let me explain. You see, your wife and your husband have a heart. And when we plant words of encouragement in their hearts, guess what grows? Confidence, love. And let me tell you something. When the enemy sees a heart that's parched and dry and hasn't been tended to by the owner, the farmer of that heart, which is the spouse, you know what he does? I'll find someone who will water that heart. I'll find someone who will notice them. I'll find someone who will speak to that dry heart, and it won't be their husband or wife. And if your wife's heart is dry and it hasn't been cultivated and the weeds haven't been pulled out by you and you haven't planted seeds of encouragement and love and cherishment, and guess what? The enemy said, I'll get someone who will plant some seed, that coworker, that neighbor, that person down the street. And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, that dry heart that you're supposed to be farming husbands is getting tended to by another man. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Allow your wife's heart to dry up because you neglected to plant seeds of encouragement. That's our responsibility. Wives, don't you dare, don't you dare let your husband's heart dry up because you expect some other farmer to pour into his heart. And let me tell you, the enemy is crafty. There are plenty of ad hoc farmers that want to farm his heart. Cherishment says, I'm going to give you so much, I'm going to keep throwing seeds of encouragement and love that so much fruit is going to be hanging from that heart that if any other words come from anyone else, they just bounce off. I'm full, baby. I'm full of you. That's what cherishment does. And the second you replace that with negative stuff, you are pouring poison on the land and I'm telling you if all you point out is what they do wrong and you just keep planning that guess what grows nothing his heart and her heart is dry why because of you it's our responsibility to farm the hearts of our brides and grooms amen
You see, whenever you affirm something, that trait or quality is usually reinforced in that person. Let me explain. If you say to your husband, I appreciate your integrity. If you say to your wife, I'm so grateful you're faithful. When they're tested with their integrity and they're tested with their faithfulness, you know what they remember? What was planted. And then they say, wow. She says, I'm a man of integrity. I must be. I'm going to remain a man of integrity. What you plant is what they aspire to be. When a spouse thinks he is kind, he is likely to want to keep acting in a kind manner. Why? Because she said it. It becomes part of his identity. If a spouse thinks, husband thinks he's a great leader because his wife says, you know what? You led well. You led us well through that. He aspires to be a great leader. Why? Because you planted it. You, you, you pulled the weeds, the negative stuff out, and you kept scattering seeds of, baby, you're a good leader. And you know what grew in his heart? I need to be a good leader because that makes her come alive. You see, the very thing that your husband isn't is probably because you're not feeding it. And the very thing your wife isn't is probably because you're not feeding it. You're the farmer's. That's why abusive speech is so damaging. When a husband is abusive with his words, then that woman woman battles every day with thoughts that says, maybe I am and maybe I'm not worth it. It's why you see people who are in these horrible relationships and you see them and they run to another horrible relationship and you're saying, why does she keep going to those kind of guys? Why? Because the guy before her fed her all this junk, and that's who she thought she was. And you don't understand. Why would they do that? Why? Because that's what's growing in her heart. To cherish someone that says, baby, honey, it is a privilege to love you. I am so grateful for you. I appreciate this and I appreciate that. And you know what? I'm a blessed man and woman to have you by my side. That's why physical abuse is so damaging. Because your arms and hands are made to cherish and protect. Husbands, let me speak to you. These hands that you have, don't you dare touch your wife. Don't you dare shove her. These hands are made to protect Tenderly caress and hold and and battle and fight against. Don't you dare touch your wives. Don't you dare. When you do that, it makes her believe in her heart of hearts that I'm not worth it. Cherishing should never be stagnant. That's what's happened to many of our relationships We're stagnant because we don't cherish each other. Your husband or wife is who they are. Find out 
who that person is and cherish that person as they desire to be cherished. And it might even sound backward, but the more we cherish an imperfect spouse walking in progressive sanctification, the less imperfect they will become. Why? Because you're planting seeds of encouragement. We're all imperfect. Here's the news. Guess what? Your husband will screw up. Your wife will screw up. Listen, there's forgiveness. We're imperfect, but plant seeds of appreciation, encouragement in their hearts, and that's what will grow. And here are some powerful ways to keep cherishing them. Hear me out, man. How do you do that? You feed them spiritually. You take out the Bible and you say, baby, sit down. Let me read this to you. Did you notice that when God was with his people, he said, do you realize how, like, husbands, are you feeding your wife spiritually? When's the last time you shared God's word with your wife? Are you cherishing, are you, are you cultivating a heart of godliness? Like what they say, I'm growing closer to Jesus because of him. That's our responsibility. Share things that you found. You don't have to share them on an app and tell everyone else. Tell your bride. This is what I found. This is what I know. Feed them. You're the farmer. How else can you? Just stay curious about them in every season of life. Keep asking questions. Men, make your wives your standard of beauty. Like, she's, that's it. Like, it doesn't get any better than her. She, you set the bar, baby. No, no one can come close. But keep this in mind, ladies. While that is true, this is also true. Listen to these thoughts in regards to this. The author here says in an earlier chapter, we spoke to your husbands about cherishing your body and praying that God would make you, their standard of beauty. And he said, women usually love it when I talk to their husbands about this, but here's the thing. If you want to make it easy for him to do this, you got to consider some of what attracted him to you. Men, if your wife fell in love with a fitness buff who then traded in cardio workouts for nachos, we can't expect her to not notice. Weight gain is inevitable for the vast majority of us. There are a few freaks of nature who manage to cheat normal physiology. But if our spouses chose us as people who at least valued fitness and were generally engaged in life, but then became someone almost entirely different, a couch potato who steadily withdraws from life, we are making huge demands on their charts and their charity. Once we get married, our bodies aren't entirely our own. If we want to be cherished, we should hold this reality as a trust rather than independently stake our claim and tell our spouses to just deal with it. And then he says this. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the story. Guy meets girl with long flowing hair. They fall in love. She has a baby or two. And then she surprises him with a short, cute haircut that all her girlfriends rave about. It's sensible and easier to care for. It's adorable. 
And the first time her husband sees it, even if he's a master poker player, he can't hide his disappointment. Does it matter as much if every one of your girlfriends, your mom, and your sisters agree that the shorter hair is so wonderful when your husband tries to hide his disappointment? I'm not saying that every guy will be disappointed. Maybe your particular husband loves shorter hair, and I'm not saying he gets to choose, and I'm not saying that. Here's what I'm saying. How much thought are you giving to the guy who fell in love with you and the way you look? Another truth is you can't cherish someone else if you're obsessed with yourself. Another one, help your spouse's dreams to come true. Please, guys, hear me out on this one. What is that thing your wife has always wanted to do? She talks about and one of these days, and boy, you've had seven cars since then. You've had... 15 memberships at places since then. And you've bought all these things for yourself since then. But you haven't taken any of that reserve and said, this year I'm going to step away with this and I'm going to put it in the bank because she wants to fly to that remote place, just us. Splurge. She's the woman of your dreams. Make her dreams come true. Hear me out. Not your kids' dreams come true. Her Dreams come true. Let me say two more things. Grace is the gasoline that fuels the engine for us to be able to cherish each other. Give each other grace. And lastly, addictions war against cherishing. It could be an addiction to video games. It could be addiction to poker. It could be addiction to drugs. It could be addiction to alcohol. Every second you give to that addiction is a second taken away from each other. Oh, Lord, help us. Lord, my prayer has been this. I pray that we would begin in a fresh way to not just love each other, but cherish each other. Loving says, I'm supposed to, I have to. Cherishing says, I get to. What a privilege it is to be the farmer of your heart. Help us to do it well, God, please. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next week.